following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So, the, the Bible passage that all this is coming out of for the next four weeks is a passage that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we are going to be in this text over these four weeks. We're going to look at it from different angles. This one passage, but we're going to look at it through different lenses and from different dimensions. And so let's acquaint ourselves with this text. Kent Davies is going to come this morning and read this passage for us. Thank you, Kent. 2 Corinthians 12 and uh, starting in verse 7. Thanks, Kent. 2 Corinthians 12, 7b. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. <clears throat> All right. Let me uh, start by asking you this question. Have you ever received a gift you didn't want? Have a think. Don't tell me. But uh, have a think. Have you given a gift, maybe, that nobody wanted? Have you received a gift that was unwanted, that was unwelcome? That was unnecessary, maybe. I remember giving a gift like this. I don't so much remember getting them, but I remember a gift uh, that I gave Anna when we were dating. It's in our dating years. And I, just, I thought that the way to her heart was going to be through buying her a vase. You know, isn't, isn't a vase the way to a girl's heart? Turns out it wasn't. Uh, so I gave her this vase, and she initially tried, as you do with a vase, to put some flowers in the vase. And this was kind of the first hurdle. This was where we realized things were not going well. Not a single flower would actually fit into the vase. It was this weird shape, like if you imagine something out of a Dr. Seuss book. It was like this strangely curved vase, and you, you couldn't even get a single stem into the vase. So she then thought, well, let's at least try putting a bit of water in the bottom of the vase problem was it was not made of normal vase ceramic material. It was like this weird plaster. And so all the bottom of it started to disintegrate as soon as you put water in it. So then I thought, well, maybe it's just meant to be an ornament. It, it will just sit on the shelf and that'll be fine. The only problem was it is the ugliest vase that you could possibly picture. This disgusting bluish purple. I think there might have been pink dots on it. It was absolutely hideous. So it was one of those presents that kind of got shoved off quietly to the side and then probably thrown out a couple of months down the track. It's a miracle that we're still together, really, <laughs> after, that, after that vase incident. But maybe you can relate. You might have given a, an absolute clunker of a gift, received something terrible. We've all been there. But in this series, we're going to be talking about the gift that nobody wants, the gift of pain, the gift of suffering. And it may sound strange to you to even describe pain and suffering 
as a gift. That is not normally the first word that comes to our mind, is it? When we think of the hard places in our lives, think of the tough things in our lives. When we go through difficult times, gift is not the first word that comes to mind. We, we, we feel exhausted and it's awful and it's, we feel angry and we feel upset and we feel tired and we feel worn down and, and a whole lot of other words that I can't say from stage come to mind. But we don't generally think this is a great gift that I'm receiving here. And even talking about pain as a gift, it might make you feel like this kind of undermines the genuine pain that a lot of people feel, the genuine trauma that a lot of people go to. Does it trivialize pain to describe it as a gift? But here's the thing. Through this series, we want to try and reframe our understanding of suffering. We want to try and look through pain using a different lens to the one that we usually look through pain at. Not just a human lens, not just our own vantage point, but the vantage point of Scripture, the vantage point of the Spirit. We want to start asking some fresh questions about the suffering in our lives and the stuff in our lives that's really, really hard. Questions like, is it possible that God is present in your pain? Is it possible that maybe God's at work in those places in your life that are really hard? Maybe even doing His best work. Is it possible that maybe rather than being some sort of distraction from the rest of our lives, pain might be the place where real life and real faith is born and cultivated? It's uncomfortable to think that way. It's hard. And I think the series is probably going to surface some difficult things for us as we think about painful areas of our lives and tough experiences we've had and difficult things that we've got lying ahead of us. But this is the nature of where this text goes, and it's the nature of what Paul talks about. It's the nature of what we're going to be dealing with over the next few weeks. And I want you to keep in mind as we go the hard things in your lives, the painful times, the thorns in the flesh, as Paul describes it. What I want to do this morning, really simple, is just walk through Paul's story with you. So that's all we're trying to bite off today. I want, I want to familiarize you with this passage so that over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different questions that come out of this passage, but today is laying a foundation. So we understand Paul's story and how he tells it, and then this will spin off in a few different directions over the next few weeks, okay? So if you've got a Bible in front of you there, let's just take this text phrase by phrase and look at what Paul's saying. Verse 7. Second half of verse 7, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, the word thorn is the word, the Greek word, scolops. It's a great word, isn't it? Everybody say scolops. Scolops. What a great word. Try and use it at least three more times today. Scolops. And it just means literally that which is pointed. It could refer to the tip of a spear. It could refer to the tip of a javelin or a stake that you drive into the ground. In this case, Paul's talking about something pointed that gets driven into your flesh. So it could be like a fish hook. Any of you had that experience? You're casting the rod and the hook goes into your finger rather than into the sea? No? What about a splinter that gets wedged under your fingernail? Really? Yeah, are, you, are you squirming yet? Really deep, really badly. Yep, that's what I'm trying to do, make you cringe. What about a, a long, nasty thorn from a thorn bush that gets driven into your hand or into your flesh somewhere? This is the kind of thing that Paul's talking about. A thorn, something sharp, something brutal, driven into your flesh. And what he is doing is using that thorn in the flesh image as a metaphor to describe a really painful experience in his life. 
something really difficult. We don't know exactly what it is. We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. There's a lot of ink that's been spilled with people conjecturing what Paul's thorn in the flesh might have been. People think maybe it was evidence that Paul wasn't married and he had to deal with that. Maybe it, maybe it was evidence that he was married and he had to deal with that. But we don't, we don't know. Uh, it could have been a whole lot of things. It could have been an illness uh, of some kind. It could have been malaria that was very common in the ancient world, something like that. It could have been a disability that Paul lived with. Uh, it could have been some sort of health condition, an injury maybe, that he could not get rid of. Uh, it's possible that Paul's thorn in the flesh was something more internal. And some people believe it was more like mental illness that tormented. When Paul uses that word torment, you can, you can imagine this might have been something that went on in his heart and in his mind. We know that Paul had times of fear. He talks about the pressure that he faces because of all the churches. He felt at times perplexed. There was a lot going on in Paul's mind and heart. And this may have been a struggle with anxiety. This might have been a struggle with depression. We don't know. It could have been a relational issue for Paul. Uh, he certainly had plenty of relational problems and opposition through his life, like the disagreement that he had with Barnabas over John Mark. It might have been that kind of thorn in the flesh. It might have been the opposition from Jewish leaders, from other people, uh, maybe something like that. It could have been some kind of temptation that Paul felt, some sort of addiction that he faced, some, some sin in his life that he just wrestled with, temptation around lust or, or envy or anger or any number of things. But Paul deliberately doesn't tell us. And I think that's good. Because if Paul had told us what his thorn in the flesh was, if he just said, I have this thorn in the flesh and it was sickness, then all we would have focused on is sickness. And this message would just be about sickness. Now that, that would be fine, but Paul doesn't do that because I think he doesn't want to close off the categories of what a thorn in the flesh could be. And by not naming his own thorn in the flesh, what Paul is inviting you to do is to consider your thorns in the flesh and to connect your story to his story and consider how what he says about his thorn in the flesh applies to your thorns as well. And so as we journey through this series, think about what those thorns in the flesh might be for you. They come in all different shapes and sizes, don't they? Some long-term struggles, some very, very short struggles. It may be some kind of health issue that you're facing or that someone in your family is facing. We carry thorns in the flesh on behalf of our family as well, don't we? Those close to us, that creates a thorn when that person struggles and suffers. It may be a battle with mental illness. It may be anxiety. It may be depression, whether it's chronic, whether it's episodic, but it may be that struggle in your own heart and mind that's going on right now. Maybe no one else knows about it, but that's a real torment for you. It may be the pain that's involved in some relationship. Maybe there's a really hard relationship for you, and you're struggling in it. And there's real brokenness there. Or maybe it's the memory of an estranged relationship that's never healed. Maybe it's the absence of relationship. You just feel really, really lonely. That's your thorn in the flesh. Or maybe it is some kind of proclivity towards an area of sin in your life that you just get drawn back to time and time and time again. Some sort of addiction, some sort of habit. And the more you try and get rid of it, the more powerless you feel. Maybe that's your thorn in the flesh. You know, one of the most common things I hear when people talk to me about their struggles is this line, someone else has got it worse than me. People always say that. Why do people always say that to pastors? So I oh, know someone else has got it worse than me. 
Yeah, thanks for the offer of a meal or whatever, but someone else has got it worse than me. Listen, let's clear this up once and for all. I know someone else has got it worse than you. Someone's always going to have it worse than you, and someone's going to have it better than you. But guess what? Your pain is your pain. Your thorn is your thorn. And it doesn't take massive trauma to generate significant pain in your life. There can be things that might on the surface of them seem not a big deal, that can still be a thorn that's driven deeply into your heart. I have had times in my life where I've experienced things that other people might shake off, but it's gone in deep. Do you know what I mean? Things that you feel like this isn't even such a big deal, but it can still cause deep, deep pain. And there'll be things you can shake off that other people, that thorn will go in really deep to their heart. So please don't think that we're only talking about major trauma. Yes, that is serious. Yes, that is suffering. But that's not the only form of suffering. Deep pain, deep suffering can come through all sorts of things, both internally and externally, that may or may not look like a big deal to anyone else. So we're talking about whatever is afflicting you and hurting you and causing you pain, no matter how short or long you've been struggling with it, no matter whether it's on the outside or the inside or what anyone else thinks of it, your thorn is your thorn. Now, as you work through this passage, the next question that comes along is a really interesting one. It's the question, where did this thorn of Paul's originate? Where did it come from? So here's what he says in verse 7 again. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh. Now that phrase throws us back to the beginning of the chapter where Paul describes this amazing experience he's had where he got taken up to heaven. He talks about being caught up to the third heaven. That's just a way of saying heaven. Jewish people saw different layers of heaven, but Paul's basically saying, I got taken up to heaven. And he got this incredible vision of heaven. And he got to hear inexpressible things that no one else could hear. I mean, that's an amazing experience that God gave Paul the privilege of experiencing. But God also knew that kind of experience could generate a huge amount of pride in Paul's life. I mean, just think about it. If someone today, and people claim this has happened, literally got to experience heaven and then came back, like that, you're an instant celebrity. Right? You are on the speaking circuit now. That's a Netflix documentary right there. You, you're going to have a book deal. It's gonna, life is good for you. If you've gone to heaven, that is the possibility of endless pride and a huge ego in your life. And God knew it. And so when it comes to Paul's thorn in the flesh, he says, this thorn was given to me to prevent me from becoming conceited. Who does it sound like is giving Paul the thorn? God. In order to be prevent Paul from becoming conceited. So on the one hand, it sounds like God has given Paul this thorn in the flesh, but then look at what he says. Straight after that, he says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So now it sounds like he's saying the thorn came from Satan. So which is it? Was it God that gave him the thorn in the flesh or was it Satan? And the answer is both. It's a paradox. It's a mystery. But here's how one biblical scholar, Murray Harris, puts it. One and the same scallops, that's thorn, was simultaneously given by God and used by Satan. As Paul experienced his thorn, he discovered it both to be a gift from God and a tool of Satan. In the first case, because it deflated pride. In the second case, because it inflicted suffering. Interesting, isn't it? So one experience... 
and yet both God and Satan are in some ways involved. Satan's work is always going to be to try and tear you down. That's, his, that's always his agenda. He will always try and agitate. He will, that's why Jesus said, the evil one, the thief comes to rob, steal, and destroy. That's his work. That's his agenda. He will try to tear you down. That doesn't mean every time you suffer, it's directly the work of Satan himself. I don't think we want to say every suffering is personally Satan having a go at you. But behind all suffering and all evil and all struggle is the author of evil, who is Satan. So he, stand, he is the origin and the cause of evil and suffering in the world. And whenever you look at that thorn in the flesh, whatever it is that you're struggling with, it will have Satan's fingerprints on it. It may not be directly him that's causing it, but ultimately we can say these thorns in the flesh, they are like a messenger of Satan to torment us. So Satan brings them along to try and tear us down. But then here's the other side of it. God's work in our lives is to build us up. He always wants to build faith. He always wants to draw us closer to him. He always wants to build character. And one of the ways in which God will do that in our lives sometimes is by allowing us to go through a hard season. Is by allowing us to go, and I'm using the word allow rather than cause, because I don't think God always causes all of these things to happen, but he allows us to go through a hard season in order to draw us closer to him in order to strip away things that shouldn't be there in our lives, in order to refine us, in order to deepen and strengthen our sense of faith and trust in Him. And so God can use these difficulties and these trials that come into our lives, but so can Satan. And that's the tension that we face. In those places in your life that are really, really hard, you probably feel this if you think about it. There's a tension there. There is always going to be a choice in the midst of suffering. You can run towards God or you can run away from Him. And that's why both God and Satan are going to be involved. God's purpose will always be to use these things to draw you, draw you, draw you. He will always want to deepen faith. If you allow it, this will draw you closer to Him. But that's not the only road you can go in the midst of suffering. You can never think suffering is just something that will naturally bring us into the presence of God. You can just as easily allow your suffering to push you away from God. And that will always be Satan's work in your life. So that tension is a very real felt tension in the midst of suffering. That our thorns are the work, in some ways, of both God and Satan. And are trying to be used for both purposes. So then let's come to how Paul responds to this thorn in the flesh. He says in verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We're going to have a whole message in this series on unanswered prayer and why God doesn't answer our prayers. So I'm not going to labor this point now, but you see Paul here praying earnestly that God would take this thorn away. Uh, but God doesn't give him what he wants. Instead, this is the response in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. If you're wondering why those words are in red, it's because these are the words of Jesus spoken directly to Paul in the midst of this situation. This is Jesus' response. And, and here is Jesus saying to Paul, Paul, I know that all you want is to be free from this thorn in the flesh. I know all you want is to feel differently. I know all you want is for the situation to be better. I know all you want is for this to be resolved. But Paul, I've got something better for you. I've got something even better, Paul, than taking away the grief that you're feeling. 
I've got this gift to give you, Paul. And it may not be a particularly wanted or welcome gift right now, but this is the gift of my grace. This is what Jesus is offering, Paul. This is what Jesus is offering us. The greatest gift that he gives us in the midst of our suffering is not to remove the suffering, but it's his grace in the midst of the suffering. And the very word grace has the idea of gift built into it. The word charis, it means gift. It's a gift, not just a gift that's given to someone who's an equal. It's always a gift given to someone who's undeserving. It's always a gift given to someone that hasn't earned it, someone who's not worthy of it. And the gift of God is just his undeserved favor. It's his undeserved kindness, his undeserved love that's poured into our lives. One of the best definitions of grace that I've heard is grace is love with a stoop in it. I think that's beautiful. Can you picture that? Love with a stoop in it. Not just love for a peer, not just love for an equal, but love that stoops. Love that stoops down to meet us right at our point of need. It was the grace of Jesus that stooped down to the cross where Jesus died and carried all of your sufferings in his body on the cross. That's why Isaiah 53 says, Surely he took up our pain and carried our sufferings. What an awesome thought. You know, on the cross, Jesus didn't just carry your sin. He carried your suffering. Just think about that. Think about what he has done on the cross. He didn't just carry the things that you've done wrong and you are culpable for. He also carried all of those thorns in the flesh that you experience throughout your life and that others in your family experience. All of those thorns Jesus carried as well. It wasn't just one thorn. It was a whole crown of thorns that Jesus had. Jesus knew what it was to suffer. In the Bible, he's called a man of suffering, familiar with suffering, acquainted with grief. When they put that crown of thorns over his head, it represented all of those thorns that you and I carry in our life. He bore them and he carried them on the cross. That pain that you are feeling now, that anguish of soul that you are carrying, Jesus carried it on the cross. He bore it for you. That frustration you have, that anger you have, that broken relationship that is just fractured and you don't even know how it can be restored. Jesus carried that for you on the cross. He's already carried it. And because he carried it then, he will carry it now. And this is the beauty of the grace of Jesus. That in his mercy and in his tenderness, he comes to you right at your point of need with whatever it is you're facing today, and he stoops down again. And he brings himself under that heavy, heavy burden that you're carrying. And he says, you don't have to fight it alone. You don't have to carry this alone. I'm here, he says. I'm with you. Let me take that burden. Let me carry that burden. You don't have to slog this out in your own strength anymore. You don't have to try and fix it yourself. You don't have to use up every last little ounce of your own strength trying to figure this thing out. Jesus is saying to you this morning, I am here and I am with you and I am for you, and I'm never going to leave you. He's saying to you this morning, you are loved. No matter what's going on, you are held. Some of you just need to hear that today. You are held. In the midst of the turbulence that's going on, you are held in the arms of an everlasting God. He's saying to you, you are absolutely secure in my grace. My grace will sustain you. My grace will be enough for you. My grace will be sufficient for you. You know that word sufficient? It does, it's, it's not like it, it means 
just enough. It doesn't mean adequate. It doesn't mean average. It means more than enough. For God's grace to be sufficient means that it's, it's ample. It means that it's overflowing into your life. It is abundant. It is excessive. It is far more than your need. The grace of Jesus is more than the needs that you have. His strength is more than enough for you today. His grace is more than enough. His power is more than enough for whatever you are facing. His presence is more than enough for you. It is overflowing into your life. Even if you can't feel it, this is what we need to bring ourselves back to those times when we struggle, because you're not going to feel that way, are you? You don't feel the presence of God in your life when you struggle a lot of the time. You just feel what? Darkness, blackness, bleakness. But those are the times, those are the times that you need to press into what Jesus says here to Paul and remind yourself and let Scripture remind you. And if you can't do any of those things, find someone else who will remind you that the grace of Jesus is sufficient for you. It is more than enough to meet you at your point of need. It always, always will be. When you struggle to get out of bed in the morning because you're so depressed, God's grace is sufficient for you. In the middle of the night when you feel like everything's caving in on you, God's grace is sufficient for you. When you are crying out and all you want is for things to be different, all you want is to get that job, all you want is for your marriage to be saved, all you want is to be able to have a child, all you want is to be free of this depression that you feel. In those moments, come back to the words of Jesus and let him remind you, my grace is sufficient for you. Because, he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Such a strange phrase in some ways. My, my power, his power, made perfect in weakness. It's about the opposite, I think, of the way that we tend to think about struggle and suffering. Like We, we tend to think God's power is going to be made perfect by removing my weakness, isn't it? Like God's power will be made perfect by getting rid of the problem or by fixing my feelings or by mending my relationship or by helping my bank account. That's how God's power is going to be revealed in my life. And yet what Scripture tells us is that, no, it's not after the problem is over that God's power is going to be revealed. It's right in the middle of it. It's not after your weakness it's not going around your weakness. It's not when your weakness is strength. It's no right in your weakness. God's power is going to be made known in the middle of it, in the struggle, in the battle, in the grief, in the loss, in the heartache, in the tension, in the stress that you're feeling. God's power will be known in the middle of that. This is how God works. It is power in weakness. It is strength in weakness. We have a faith. At the center of this faith is a cross. And that's where God showed us power in weakness, strength in weakness. This is how he works. It is abundant strength, but it is poured out through the weakness of the cross. And that is the nature of our lives. It is victory in the midst of defeat. It is honor in the midst of shame. It is power in the midst of powerlessness. It is glory when we feel anything but glory. It is strength in weakness. It is hope when we feel absolutely hopeless. It is resurrection when we feel nothing but death, rising in the midst of dying. That's why Paul can say elsewhere in this letter, 
Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day, even though outwardly, we're wasting away. We can experience the renewing of God's grace in our lives, even when our circumstances are horrendous because of the all-sufficient grace of God. His power is made perfect in our weakness because it's when we reach that place of weakness, when other things are stripped away, pride stripped away, ego stripped away, our own self-sufficiency, our own delusion of control, when all of those things are finally stripped away, then we are at a place where we can recognize the power of God in our lives and we are brought to a place of depending more on that power than we ever have before. Annie Flint was a woman who lived in the early 20th century. She was, at a young age, a really talented musician. She wanted to be a concert pianist, uh, had great musical abilities. But uh, in her young adult years, she began to contract arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. And it just got worse and worse and worse, and it crippled her, crippled her fingers, ended up crippling her whole body. Her body was contorted. It became twisted in until the point that she was bedridden couldn't really move, could barely even hold a pen in her hands. And then on top of that, she contracted cancer in some of her internal organs. She almost went blind. By the end of her life, she was bedridden. She had to have multiple cushions, pillows in bed, just propping her up, trying to keep her comfortable. She was never cured of her arthritis. It never left her. It was an affliction that she carried for the rest of her life. But before she died, she wrote a beautiful hymn and the words of this hymn have really ministered to me over the last few years as I've read them. If you can get past the old English, there is beauty here. She says this, He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limits, his grace has no measure, his power no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That is our Savior. That is the all-sufficient, abundant grace of Jesus. That is more than enough to meet you at your point of suffering. Pain is the gift that nobody wants. But it's the gift that God uses to give us that gift we most desperately need, which is His grace. And sometimes it's in the midst of the darkness that we can see that gift and receive that gift more clearly. So through the series, we are going to pick up three questions that come out of this passage. Next week, Brad's going to look with you at the question, how can we live with our pain and take us into the biblical posture of lament. What does it mean to lament over our pain? Then Jonathan Dove's going to come and talk about how can we help others who are going through pain. It's one of the most helpful things that we can do, not only for other people, but for ourselves when we struggle, is to look towards the other. And then I'll come back and wrap up the series with that question, why doesn't God answer my prayer? And we'll look at the mystery of unanswered prayer. Why does God choose to answer some people's prayers, but not others? That is hard, and it doesn't seem fair, and we'll dive into the mess of all of that. What I want to do as we finish this morning and, and begin to think about communion, taking the Lord's Supper, I want to invite you to respond in a simple way to what we've talked about this morning. Uh, at the end of each row, you'll see a little stack of paper, 
And at the end of every second row, you will see some pens. Can I ask you, if you're on the left-hand end of a row to pick up that stack of paper, take one and then pass it along so that you all have a square piece of white paper. Get yourself a pen and just pass those down the rows if you need to or if you've already got one, that's fine. And I want to invite you just to take a minute to write on that bit of paper your thorn in the flesh. One thing right now that you would consider, you're not going to be sharing this with anyone, by the way, we're not going to be passing the microphone around. Uh, it's just, this is just you, and it's a way of just naming your struggle. You might be here, and you might feel like, I have got an entire thorn bush. Which one do you want? Uh, it doesn't matter. Just write one down. Maybe write down the one that is most pressing right now, that you're feeling most deeply right now. Or maybe that this morning has surfaced the most for you. Just write down that thing. doesn't need to be a whole essay. Just write down what that thorn in the flesh is, and then fold the paper over. And here's what I'd like you to do. As we take communion this morning, I want to encourage you, if you, if you want to, to bring that piece of paper. And we've got a little wall here. This is like our church wailing wall over the next few weeks. Okay, we can come and just lament and wail at the wall. If you actually want to wail, that's okay. But if you just want to come and bring the paper, the idea is bring the piece of paper, take a little clip here, and clip the piece of paper onto this mesh wall. Nothing magic's going to happen. You're not going to be immediately transformed, but it's just a way of bringing your pain to God and just naming it before Him and recognizing that you have someone you can go to with this pain, someone who's inviting you to bring your pain to Him. You don't have to carry it. And so you can bring that here before you take communion if you want to, after you take communion, it's fine. We'll have a few minutes to do this. And then as you take communion this morning, the Lord's Supper, you'll see on these tables that we've got some crowns of thorn there. Just watch out for the, um, don't skewer yourself as you take communion, but let that remind you of the way that Jesus has already carried that pain on the cross. He's already taken it up. And maybe picture in your mind's eye, Jesus carrying that pain, carrying your personal thorn in the flesh as he hung there on that cross. And then as you receive these elements, the wafer and the juice, Receive the grace of God afresh into your life. Receive God's love afresh to meet that deep need that you have, to meet you at that point of pain, to meet you in the anguish of your soul. Receive the grace of God afresh into your life. He's already poured out His grace upon you into your life. But John 1.16 says that out of His fullness, He gives us grace upon grace. Grace upon grace already given. In other words, it's wave upon wave, grace upon grace, like the waves of the ocean washing over our lives. And so just bathe yourself in that. Just allow yourself to know the grace upon grace that Jesus gives to meet you right where you're at and minister to you with whatever thorn in the flesh you are carrying. So let me pray. We can take some, take some time to write, reflect, and receive the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you already see all the pain that we are carrying, the parts of ourselves that we let others see. And Jesus, you see the parts of ourselves that we hide from others, that only we know or only one or two other people know. Jesus, we thank you that we just, you just see it. And we are totally uncovered and laid bare before you. We're just undone before you, Jesus. And I thank you, even though that's a hard place to be, it's a good place to be. God, I pray that in the most painful experiences in our lives and in whatever pain we're going through now, that Jesus, 
we would know your all-sufficient grace. More than just knowing it in our heads, God, I know a lot of people here know this in their heads, but I want to pray, God, that your grace would become lodged in our hearts this morning in a new way. Get past our defenses. Get past our own unwillingness to receive your grace sometime for whatever reason, whatever it is in our lives that sometimes blocks that and puts up walls. God, would you just break that down? Just overwhelm us with your love. Bathe us in your grace. Remind us of your mercy. And give us that peace that your word promises us that surpasses all understanding. And even that joy that your word promises us, that indescribable and glorious joy that we can know in the midst of our trials because we know that you are there and you are present and you are at work. So Jesus, we thank you for your love for us and the way in which you help us so tenderly and treat us as your children. So we give you ourselves. We bring our thorns in the flesh to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.